0: Section sixteen of Woman in Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle. Woman in Science by John Augustine Zahm. Chapter seven Women in the Natural Sciences. Part two. Miss or might, had she so elected, have won fame as a systematic entomologist and as a distinguished contributor to the already long list of genera and species of insects she might have devoted herself to theoretical work or bent her energies towards the general advancement of the science like fabricius schwamedam westwood and bernmeister but she preferred to forego all the glory that might accrue from pursuing such a course and to direct her efforts in such wise as to be of most service to humanity like the great pasteur after his long and laborious experimental researches on silkworm diseases, Miss Ormerod could at the end of her illustrious career declare with truth the results which i have obtained are perhaps less brilliant than those which i might have anticipated from researches pursued in the field of pure science but i have the satisfaction of having served my country in endeavoring to the best of my ability to discover the remedy for great misery it is to the honor of a scientific man that he values discoveries which at their birth can only obtain the esteem of his equals far above those which at once conquer the favor of the crowd by the Immediate utility of their application, but in the presence of misfortune, it is equally an honor to sacrifice everything in the endeavor to relieve it. Miss Ormerod's labors were not, it is true, instrumental in rescuing from destruction a nation's chief industries, as were Pasteur's in the case of his famous researches on phylloxera of the grapevine or the primarine of the silkworm. Nor had they to do with such frightful industrial disturbances as have frequently been occasioned by the rinderpest pest or by the potato blight in ireland in eighteen forty five this is true in so far as any one pest is concerned but when one reflects on the scope of miss ormerod's investigations and considers how far-reaching were her researches and how many and diverse industries were embraced by the remedial and prophylactic measures which she proposed one cannot but realize the immense importance of her life-work the fact that her activities were confined chiefly to old and well-known pests insects from which the farmer and the gardener and the forester had suffered for centuries and which they had come to regard as necessary and inevitable evils does not detract from the merit and the value of her labors that she should have taken up a work which affected so many people and have been so successful in abating or in entirely removing evils which had so long afflicted agriculturists and stock-growers shows that she was a woman of rare courage and determination as well as one of invincible persistence and of intellectual resources of a very high order during more than a quarter of a century miss ormerod devoted practically the whole of her time to the study of economic entomology and to spreading a knowledge of it among her countrymen from eighteen seventy seven to eighteen ninety eight she published annual reports on injurious insects and sent them broadcast throughout great britain and her colonies in addition to this she wrote a number of manuals and text-books on insects injurious to food crops forest trees orchards and bush fruits nor was this all she also prepared for gratuitous distribution a large number of four-page leaflets on the most common farm pests of the leaflet for instance on the warble fly its life-history methods of prevention and remedy no less than a hundred and seventy thousand copies were printed and so great was the demand for her leaflet on the gooseberry red spider that a single male brought her an order for three thousand copies miss or it is proper to state here received no remuneration whatever for her great services to the public on the contrary she gave not only all her time gratuitously but bore a great part of the expense of printing and distributing her publications the amount of good she thus did unaided and alone cannot be estimated in her leaflet on the warble fly also known as the bot fly She estimates the annual damage to the stock growers of the United Kingdom from this pest at from three million pounds to four million pounds. The losses due to fruit, grain, and vegetable insects of various kinds before she began her insect crusade were much greater. In Great Britain and her colonies, they amounted to very many millions of pounds sterling every year. And most of these losses, as she demonstrated, were preventable by simple precautions, which she eventually succeeded in inducing the people to adopt how much she was instrumental in saving annually to the farmers and gardeners of england by her writings and lectures can only be imagined but the sum must have been immense when we recollect that miss ormerod accomplished all her work before it occurred to the english board of agriculture to appoint a government entomologist we shall realize what a pioneer she was in the career in which she achieved such distinction and through which she conferred such inestimable benefits upon her fellows miss ormerod's entomological publications especially her annual reports brought her into relations with people of all classes throughout the whole world her correspondence in consequence was enormous and not infrequently amounted to from fifty to a hundred letters a day the great entomologists of europe and america held her in the highest esteem and had implicit faith in her judgment in all matters pertaining to her speciality one day she would receive a letter from an english gardener begging for a remedy against the strawberry-beetle the next day she would have a similar letter regarding white galls on black currants or pea-weevil larva or clover eel worms again there would be a communication from norway requesting advice about the hessian fly or from argentina asking information concerning a certain kind of destructive grass-beetle or from india appealing for help against a pernicious species of forest fly or from south africa seeking a relief from the boot-beetle and still again she was consulted by her foreign correspondents about termites which were causing havoc among the young cocoa-trees of ceylon or about certain peculiar species of australian larvae or about the devastating action of the pine beetle in the scotch forests or about the wheat midge and antler moth in finland one day she had a communication from the austrian embassy regarding a beetle that was eating the oats about constantinople and not long afterwards she received a letter from the chinese minister in london begging for information as to how to prevent the ravages of certain noxious bugs in the lychee orchards of china In view of all these facts, it is not surprising that Miss Ormerod became an active and valued colleague of some of England's most noted scientific men. Professor Huxley said of her in connection with certain work performed by her as a member of one of the committees to which he belonged, that she knew more about the business than all the rest put together. Miss Ormerod's services and attainments, it is gratifying to note, were not without recognition in the highest quarters. Besides being in constant correspondence with the most eminent entomologists of the world, consulting entomologist to the royal agricultural society of england and examiner in agricultural entomology in the university of edinburgh she was a member of many learned societies in both the old and new world she was also the recipient of many medals two of which came from russia the honour however which gave her the most pleasure was the degree of doctor of laws which was conferred on her by the university of edinburgh it is the first time this old and conservative institution thus honoured a woman but in honouring miss ormerod it honoured itself as well but when one considers the magnitude of miss ormerod's services to her country and to the world when one reflects on the tens of millions of pounds sterling which she saved the english empire by her researches and writings these honours seem trivial and unworthy of the great nation which she so signally benefited If any of her countrymen had labored so long and so successfully and made so many sacrifices for the welfare of the nation as she had, he would have been knighted or noble, but age-long prejudices and traditions will not yet permit England to bestow the same honors on women as on men, no matter how brilliant their attainments or how distinguished their services to the crown and to humanity. Recognition of this kind may possibly come as one of the desirable innovations of the twentieth century. No lover of fair play can deny, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished the names of the women of the united states who have become prominent by their researches and writings in the various branches of the natural sciences would make a long list and when one recalls the fact that it was only in the latter part of the nineteenth century that american women were afforded an opportunity to study science it is a matter of surprise that the list is so extended for practically no provision was made for the serious pursuit by them of the natural sciences until the opening of vassar college in eighteen sixty five and it was not until the closing years of the century that the portals of many men's colleges were unlocked and thrown open to the hitherto proscribed sect considering all the obstacles they had to overcome the ignorance the prejudice the opposition of all kinds that had combined in the united states women have already accomplished wonders and bid fair to achieve much more in the near future now almost every educational institution in the land private or state has one or more women professors or associate professors they teach all the branches of the natural sciences that are taught by their male colleagues botany geology mineralogy zoology anatomy bacteriology and all the numerous subdivisions of these sciences and they teach them with success and they also occupy responsible scientific positions in various state and federal institutions thus one woman has been the principal of the denver school of mines while another has been the state entomologist from missouri women are also found doing important work in the national museum in the smithsonian institution and in the agricultural department in washington as well as in various museums botanical gardens and public laboratories of the country from the atlantic to the pacific among those who have deserved well of science in the united states by their investigations and writings are olive thorne miller and florence merriam in ornithology susanna phelps gage dr ida h hyde mary h hinckley cornelia m clapp edith j and agnes m claypole in biology rose s ingemann in ichthyology Edith M. Patch, Elizabeth W. Peckman, Emily A. Smith, Cora H. Clark, J. M. Arm Sheldon, Mary Treat, Mary E. Murfelt, Annie T. Slossom in Entomology, Elizabeth G. Britton and Clara E. Cummings in Cryptogamic Botany, Sarah A. Plummer Lemon, Catherine E. Golden, Alice Eastman, and Almira Lincoln Phelps in General Botany ada d davidson ella f boyd and florence bascom in geology besides these special mention should be made of dr julia w snow for her work on the microscopical forms of freshwater algae anna Botsford comstock for her contributions to our knowledge of microscopic insects catherine j bush for her monographs on shallow and water mollusca harriet randolph and fanny e langdon for their studies on worms and catherine foote for her papers on cellular morphology particularly notable too is the work that has been done on marine invertebrates by mary j rathbun in the united states national museum and by florence wambaugh patterson in vegetable physiology and pathology in the department of agriculture in washington but much as the women just named deserve recognition for their achievements in the various branches of science to which they have severally devoted themselves the one who will always be specially remembered not only for her valuable contributions to diverse branches of natural science but also for her labors in behalf of higher female education particularly as president of radcliffe college is mrs elizabeth Carey agassiz the wife of the celebrated swiss american naturalist who gave such an impetus to the study of natural science in the united states and whose influence on the general advancement of science in all its departments has proved so enduring and so far-reaching as an inspirer of and collaborator with her gifted husband mrs agassiz deserves a large page in the annals of science while as an enthusiastic student of nature and as one who communicated her enthusiasm to her students and at the same time held up before them the highest ideals of womanhood she is sure of a portion of that immortality which has been decreed to her illustrious life-partner jean-louis agassiz this chapter would not be complete without some reference to the large class of women travellers who directly or indirectly have contributed so much to the advancement of the natural sciences the gifted roumanian writer and traveller princess helena Kozov masalski better known under her pseudonym doria Istra, somewhere expresses the opinion that a woman traveller admirably supplements the scientific work of the male explorer by bringing to it aptitudes that the latter does not possess for she notes many things in nature as well as in the national life and popular customs of the countries which she traverses which escape the more hebetudinous perceptions of men, and thus a vast field that would otherwise remain unknown is open to observation and critical study one of the most noted travellers of her sex in the nineteenth century was the famous ida pfeiffer of austria during the years intervening between eighteen forty two and eighteen fifty eight the date of her death she travels nearly two hundred thousand miles and in so doing visited nearly every quarter of the globe when one recalls the difficulties and discomforts of transportation in the early part of the last century as compared with our present facilities and conveniences and bears in mind the fact that her travelling expenses for an entire year were less than those of a lamartine or chateaubriand for a single week we must admit that her achievements were indeed extraordinary besides being the author of numerous works which had for many years a great vogue books which by reason of the keen observations and the absolutely truthful narratives of their author are still of special value to the student of geography and ethnology she made collections illustrative of botany mineralogy and entomology which were subsequently secured for the british museum and other similar institutions in europe no one more highly appreciated frau pfeiffer's efforts in behalf of science than the illustrious alexander von humboldt whose friendship was one of the greatest joys of this remarkable woman's life through his recommendation and that of the noted geographer Karl ritter she was made an honorary member of the geographical society of berlin besides this the king of prussia conferred on her the gold medal for arts and sciences three other women all representatives of great britain likewise deserve notice for their extensive travels and the interesting and instructive accounts which they published of them these are constance gordon Cumming, isabella bird bishop and amelia b edwards more notable in many respects than these three distinguished women were miss mary h kingsley and madame Octave Coudreau for their contributions to science and their daring adventures in savage lands they have won for themselves a unique position among women explorers miss kingsley the niece of the well-known writer and naturalist charles kingsley exhibited much of her uncle's literary ability and love of nature so complete was her intellectual grasp of the most difficult problems and so rare was her overflowing sympathy for all of god's creatures that she was well described as possessing the brain of a man and the heart of a woman in order to get at first-hand information that was necessary to complete a work which her father george kingsley had owing to his premature death left unfinished she determined to visit that part of west africa where all authorities agreed that the africans were at their wildest and worst accompanied only by the natives she traveled among cannibals pushed her way through mangrove swamps and pestilential morasses she spent months in a canoe exploring the territory watered by the calabar and the ogowe rivers often in imminent peril of death from wild animals or wilder men when not studying the manners and the customs of the native tribes she was hunting fishes and reptiles in streams and quagmires and collecting insects in the weird grim twilight of the equatorial forests. With its inextricable web of creepers, its great hanging tapestries of vines and flowers, its myriads of bush ropes suspended from the summits of tall buttressed trees, some as straight as plumb-lines, others coiled round and intertwined among each other until one could fancy one was looking on some mighty battle between the armies of gigantic serpents that had been arrested at its height by some mighty spell. The results of miss Kingsley's wanderings in this dark and uncanny wilderness and among the savage tribes visited by her were her two instructive volumes entitled Travels in West Africa and West African Studies. In addition to these two works from her pen, there are deposited in the British Museum an interesting collection of insects, fishes, and reptiles, many of them new species and some of them named in her honor, which testifies to her activity as a collector and her enthusiasm as a naturalist. Her brilliant and useful career was cut short in Cape Colony, whither she had gone as an army nurse during the Boer War. In view of her achievements, one is not surprised to learn that her countrymen regarded her premature taking off as a national misfortune. The noblest monument to her memory is the Mary Kingsley Society of West Africa, whose object is to carry on, as far as may be, the beneficent work she began in the West African coast and to accomplish for English rule in this part of the world that what the Royal Asiatic Society has achieved for British administration in India. Madame Coudreau is designated in Kiep the French who's who, as an exploratrice. This well characterizes her for, if not the first woman explorer by profession, she is certainly the most energetic and successful. Her first work was in French Guiana, under instructions from the colonial minister of France. This was in 1894. The following year she began the scientific exploration of the province of Para in northern Brazil, in collaboration with her husband, Henri Coudreau, who had previously distinguished himself by his achievements as a writer and as an explorer in French Guiana. The fruit of their joint work from 1895 to 1899 was six quarto volumes, profusely illustrated by photographs which they had taken and by carefully executed charts of the various rivers which they had explored. While engaged in the exploration of the Trombetas, a tributary of the Amazon, Henri Coudreau was taken seriously ill, and after a few days' struggle against the disease with which he was stricken, he expired in the depths of the forest primeval, where he was buried by his desolate and disconsolate widow. After such a calamity, any other woman would have left the tropics at once and returned to her home and friends. Not so, Madame coudreau With matchless courage and determination, she buried her grief in the work in which her husband had been so interested. And after completing the unfinished survey, published the results of this expedition under the title Voyage au Trombet. Having completed this work, she was engaged by the states of Para and the Amazonas to explore a number of other rivers in the vast territory known as Amazonia. This commission involved the most arduous and dangerous kind of labor and was a task which few men would have been willing to undertake. It is doubtful if any other woman would have ventured on such an expedition and it is quite certain that no one could have been found who was so well equipped for this herculean undertaking or who would have carried it to a more successful issue. Madame Coudreau was in the service of Amazonia in the capacity of official explorer from eighteen ninety nine to nineteen o six most of this time she spent in the canoe on the affluence of the amazon or in her tent in the dense forest under the equator her only companions were negroes or indians or brazilian half-breeds who served her as porters cooks and boatmen frequently they were in the forest wilds for many months at a time and far away from every vestige of civilized life as it was impossible to take sufficient provisions with them during the whole of their journey they had to depend on wild fruits and such fish and game as they were able to secure often they were forced to live for weeks at a time on an unchanging diet of manioc and tapir meat but their sufferings were not confined to hunger and disagreeable often indigestible food there were the heavy steaming atmosphere and the broiling rays of a superheated sun especially when reflected from the mirror-like surface of lake or river which were so debilitating and exhausting that physical exertion of any kind was at times almost impossible there were also the torrential and incessant rains making it impossible for them to cook their food or dry their clothing which added to their miseries whether in camp or in their canoe great however as were their trials on the river they were trifling in comparison with those in the woods here locomotion was impeded by tangled undergrowth which was bound together by strands of lianas and thorny vines which constituted an impenetrable barrier until a passage was hewn through it with a machete underfoot was a yielding morass which threatened to absorb them overhead were countless chigos, garrapatas and fire ants which infested the body or buried themselves in the flesh or there were clouds of mosquitoes which gave no rest day or night and worst of all was the ever-present danger of fever and dysentery not to speak of the dread diseases so common in certain sections of the equatorial regions it was then that madame coudreau had had to act the part of a physician as well as of a leader even though she was at the time such a sufferer herself and was barely able to stand to make matters still more difficult for madame coudreau her employees at times especially when under the influence of liquor which they contrived to obtain some way or other became mutinous and refused to accompany her to the end of her journey at other times the expedition was halted by their fear of wild beasts or savage indians or by imaginary evils of many kinds suggested to them by their superstitious minds on such occasions madame coudreau never failed to show herself a born leader of men for she invariably alone as she was with a crew who were often half savages was successful in suppressing incipient rebellion and restoring obedience and order continually confronted as she was by such trials and difficulties privations and dangers one would imagine that a delicately reared frenchwoman would have sought immediate relief from an engagement that necessitated so much exposure and suffering and sought surcease of sorrow in the distractions and gaieties of pleasure-loving paris nothing however was farther from her thoughts intrepid and resourceful she feared no danger and hesitated before no difficulty however great as an explorer she was as venturesome as and as conscientious as la condamine like them who were both her countrymen she spent many years of her life in equinoctial regions and like them she contributed immensely to our knowledge of the land of the southern cross never did the tropics have a greater fascination for any one than for madame Crudeau. during the twelve years she spent there exploring its rivers and traversing its interminable force the spell of amazonia was ever upon her and was never broken even for a moment i have she writes loved everything in amazonia the great majestic woodland and the mysterious virgin forest the beautiful rivers with their traitorous waters and thundering cataracts the suffocating air and the perfumed breeze the burning sun and the sweet freshness of night the impressive voice of the wind among the trees and the torrential rain and contrary to the usual custom of man of bringing everything under his domination it is i who have become a captive of this savage life which i love and have permitted it to take possession of all my soul and all my will elsewhere she declares in the solitude of the virgin forest i am calm tranquil experience no ennui and am almost merry when i am obliged to leave the great woodland the power to struggle grows less in me i become of an excessive sensibility i feel more keenly life's blows i am not armed for elbowing my way and making a place for myself in the sunshine i neither love nor understand anything except my virgin forest there indeed i suffer from the inclemency of the weather from hunger from sickness but these are only physical sufferings and are soon forgotten while moral and interior pains on the contrary are eradicable and still again she tells us the solitude of the virgin forest has become a necessity for me It attracts me by its mysterious silence, and only in the great woods have I the impression of being at home. Can we wonder that such an ardent lover of nature, and such a strenuous votary of science was able to forget herself in her work, and was able, notwithstanding her toils and her sufferings, to produce six quarto volumes of reports, in as many years, on the unexplored regions which she had so carefully surveyed and charted? can we be surprised that her labors received due recognition from learned societies in both the new and the old world and that she was acclaimed as an explorer who had rendered distinct service to the cause of natural science as well as to geography when we recall the labors of this lone daughter of france in the wilds of the tropics, with no one to communicate with except her half-civilized servants and boatmen we instinctively hark back to days not long past and estimate the enormous progress women have made in social and intellectual freedom but within a few decades owing to the policy of repression which so long prevailed regarding the intellectual efforts of women and the social obstacles which prevented them from publicly acknowledging the offspring of their genius women like the bronte sisters george sand and george eliot were compelled to conceal their identity under male designations because it was considered immodest for a woman to appear before the public as an author lady narin after burns the most popular songwriter in scotland felt obliged to keep secret the authorship of her beautiful poems similarly family honour made it incumbent on fanny mendelssohn to refrain from publishing her musical compositions under her own name accordingly they appeared along with those of her brother felix and so similar are they in colour and sentiment to his own productions that they are indistinguishable from them unless the author's signature be attached to satisfy an inane public opinion they long contributed to swell the volume of her brother's fame and there is reason to believe that some of them still appear under his name at the present day Yes, truly, when one recalls these and similar facts, one cannot help exclaiming what a marvelous change in the attitude of the world towards women, within the memories of those still living. Women like Miss Ormerod, Miss Kinsley, Madame Coudreau would have been ostracized if they had dared to attempt in the days of Lady Narn, the Bronte sisters, and Fanny Mendelssohn, what they may now do only without censure, but without exciting more than passing comment. The ban has been lifted from what was for ages taboo for women, and the sphere of their intellectual activities is now almost coexistent with that of the sterner sex. Not only does society no longer point the finger of scorn at the woman naturalist or the woman explorer, but it showers honors on her while living and erects monuments to her memory when dead. A great change indeed, and one long and ardently desired. Verily, tempora mutantur nos et mutamur in illis. chapter seven.